Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and this week I'm talking with Dan Kleben of Maine Beer Company. But first, I'm inviting you to check out BeerEdge.com to sign up for the newsletter, download episodes of Andy Crouch's podcast, read articles, and more. And also, check out the continuously growing This Week in Rausch Beer page on Facebook. On every bottle of Maine beer, there are three words. Do what's right. This is an easy phrase to say, but incredibly hard to practice. It can't just be a marketing slogan or something cooked up in a boardroom, slapped on a label, and then forgotten. It has to mean something. And what's right isn't always the same thing for everyone. So the person spearheading that initiative has to believe it, to practice it, and to have others believe it and practice it. Dan Cleveland's my guest today. He and his brother co-founded Maine Beer Company with the idea to make beers that resonated with them to be good stewards of the community and the industry and to do what's right, even if that wasn't popular, easy, or inexpensive. We spent some time talking about how his brewery became part of the 1% for the Planet initiative and how it's helped guide the brewery and give employees a sense of pride. We'll talk bottles and hops and tourism as well, but I wanted to start off by going back in time with Dan to what started him on this beer journey, and we'll eventually circle back to how that can apply to the next generation of brewers. Dan spoke to me from the brewery in Freeport, Maine. Here's our conversation. What brought you to brewing in the first place? Um, well, I was a recent law school graduate and had resettled back up in Portland, Maine. Uh, my wife and I had relocated for, for three years. I went to law school in Boston and we got back. I got a job in Portland. Um, and no sooner did I, uh, did I start, I, I got introduced to homebrewing. Um, this is about 2007. Who introduced uh, you to homebrewing? Yeah, well, kind of a, a, a funny story. Um, while I was a, a summer associate at this law firm, a summer associate, it's, it's what you do in between law school academic years for the summer. You go work at a law firm. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I worked at this law firm in Portland, and it was during that time that uh, one of the partners, his kind of a team building exercise, took all the summer associates to his house, invited us over, and did what he called beer school, where he uh, he put together this this fairly detailed syllabus and kind of toured us around the world to all of the different uh, styles of beer. So you go to Germany and we drink a German lager. We go to England and we drink an English lager or an English pale ale. And he tells us like what the differences were, what made an English ale an English ale and what made the German lager a German lager and, and so on and so forth. And so that was kind of like my entry into <laughs> this space that there's more to beer than just domestic white lager, to be honest with you. I, was, uh, was this done with the HR department's knowledge? Yeah. Well, you know, this was 2007. So I guess a lot has changed. Since <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was, it was awesome. It was probably one of the best team building things we did. And, you know, and I was just fascinated by it. It was, um, it was really just, just for I, context and not to interrupt you, but do you remember any of the other team building exercises, like where your life could have gone if, Another team building exercise hooked you the same way? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Continue, please. Yeah. Um, so, it, so, so fast forward, I, I went back to law. You know, this was during the summer before my, my last year of law school. So I went to law school, graduated, got a job at the same law firm, started there. And uh, this same partner, um, you know, hit all. You know, I also knew that he was a he was an avid home brewer, 
and so you know we were talking one day over the 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 you know the the water cooler so to speak and um you know i was telling him how much i loved the the thing we did the summer before the beer school and you know i'm like it'd be really cool to make beer he's like well you know you're welcome to come you know shadow me or be my assistant uh one day when i you know, next time i'm home brewing so i i took him up on that and so I went over and, and I was, you know, I helped him and, and by helping meaning I got to clean everything. I was I was going to say like that that's sort of the best scam that homebrewers oh, yeah, have. Totally. Going. Like, oh, let me teach you how help. to do it. But yeah, let me teach you how to do it. Yeah, so I got to, I got to, to clean. Right. Uh, but you know, and you know, while we're waiting, I should probably straighten up this garage. Can you help me with these boxes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So we so th- that is how I got you know and so you know th- I did that with him and I did it a, a couple times and then I got my own equipment and me and my brother we. He was started in my kitchen and we do it on the weekends and then, you know, got, got kicked out of the kitchen and, and moved into my garage. And, um, you know, I, I just really took to it. I, I started reading books, academic books, and was, you know, really self-taught. Um, you'll listen to early before. I don't, I don't even know if they were called podcasts, but I remember listening to, you know, like Jamil Zanishef had a show, uh-huh. um, you know, back then. And I, and I would, you know, I'd listen to, to him talk about, you know, cloning recipes and, um, you know, I, I'd read, you know, started with Charlie Papazian's book, obviously, The Joy of Home Brewing. Sure, well, you have to, yeah. Got into more technical, you know, technical, uh, you know, more academic uh, books and and just found that I really loved it. And it was, you know, obviously I was I was a lawyer full time that paid the bills and paid my student loans and, and everything. Um, but then, uh, you know, you know, 2000, 2000, around 2009, 2008, 2009, um, the, uh, the the great recession started, sure. and you know the financial collapse, and uh, <clears throat> myself and several other you know young associates were laid off from our law firm, and um, you know not you know kind of it was kind of a uh, the, the silver lining in all of it was you know it was during you know after I got laid off, my brother came to me and said, hey, you know I know you love brewing, it's your passion, um, you want to start a brewery. You know, do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be a brewer? Uh, and I said, well, my heart is with brewing, but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but my finances are with the law. law. Yeah. Yeah, I just graduated from law school two years ago. I don't know how happy my wife's going to be if I tell her uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang up my, my suit and tie for a pair of rubber boots and rubber gloves. Um, but being the saint that she is, she she agreed to to support me and, and, and my brother. And we, start, <clears throat> we started Main Beer Company in 2009. <laughs> There's so many things that I want to unpack from all of that. So I'm, I'm just going to pull on a couple of threads. I mean, one, that by 2009, the name Main Beer Company wasn't already taken. We got that all the time when we started. Like, really? No one, no, no one's thought of that before? But you got to, for a little context, and I'm, I'm sure you realize this, you know, D.L. Geary started the first microbrewery in Maine in 1984, 85. Yeah. We started in 2009. So in that 25 or so years, fewer than 20 breweries had ever received a license from the state of Maine. Wow. I actually didn't know that. I would have thought that it would have been just knowing how robust Maine's brewing industry is now Then I, I actually find that number kind of staggering. Yeah. Well, then so from 2009 to 2020, 2021, so 11 years, you know, we have probably over 150 breweries now. So I guess my point being that yeah, it, it it does seem kind of 
uh, astonishing that no one took Maine Beer Company, but only 25 breweries had ever started, or you know, or 20 breweries had ever started in the state. So there weren't just there weren't just a lot of breweries, period. Um, but it, that was that that was certainly was something that inured to our benefit because you know we had thought for you know you do what you do you're like let's come up with some clever name uh, <laughs> a pun something quixotic some you know like uh, esoteric and uh, and, you, and you ask your friends you ask your family what should we call the brewery and it was one day my brother's like what about Maine Beer Company it says where we're from and it says what we do I'm like yeah done. <laughs> I mean, it, it, the genius is in the simplicity. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. Like, why are we we're beating ourselves over the head trying to come up with something clever, and the the, the name is right there in front of us. I, again, I'm going to ask you to go back in time, uh, even though I I should have learned my lesson from the last question where you didn't have an answer. Uh, were there clever or esoteric names that were ever in serious consideration by you guys? Uh, not that I remember. <laughs> two for, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure two for two. Were. Yeah. None of them must have been too impressive because I don't remember any of them. <laughs> when you were thinking about that business plan then with only 20 breweries between Geary's and you, um, there's so much white space to fill in in the state. And I mean, even the country, like when I, when I think back to the post Great Recession boom of breweries and we really started to see it in, I guess, 12 and 13 and into 14 and beyond like that. That was right. that first wave um, yeah, where things true. really started to ramp up. So you were on the early side of that. We were kind uh, of on that leading edge. Yeah. But there were established breweries in the state and people were, I, I, I don't want to be rude about it, but sort of stuck in their ways. And I remember when you all opened up and getting some bottles mule down to me um, and it was, holy crap, like this is, this is really something something special. Like it's 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 vibrant. It's bright. Um, was was there a conscious effort to assert yourself as a new generation to sort of buck what Maine was beer wise, or is um, that just a natural and extension of you guys? I think it's it's, the, it's more the latter than the former. I mean, you know, certainly Maine developed um, a reputation for. And not just Maine, I would say New England um, developed a reputation for a certain style and flavor profile of, of beer, of craft, of micro, micro brew, um, as it was kind of called back then when it started. Um, and it was, you know, highly influenced by, you know, an English uh, tradition, mm -hmm. um, whether it was Alan Pugsley, who came over from the Ringwood Brewery, D.L. Geary, who <laughs> yeah. hired him, um, Shipyard who eventually, you know, he, Alan moved on from, from Geary's to, to help found Shipyard and, you know, set up breweries all across New England, Magic Hat, et cetera. Um, you know, that, that, that was the evolution of beer. And, and thank God he did, because I think it, it put New England on the map as kind of a, a, uh, a, a maverick when it came to craft beer. You know, 1984 is, was pretty early, um, all things considered. Um, and then you had, you know, that really was the dominant um, influence. And then you had in the mid nineties, you kind of had this, 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 this outlier come along and Rob Todd, who, you know, was brewed in Vermont and moved back home to Maine and, and, you know, fell in love with Belgian beers along the way and started Allagash. But that was really a really esoteric yeah. brewery. You know, he's making this really cloudy wheat beer infused with, you know, 
orange peel and coriander um, that's supposed to be cloudy. And uh, so he was, he kind of carved out his own niche. But what I found, you know, after I was introduced to the world of, of beer that, you know, lived beyond the, the Budweiser and the Miller and the Coors of the world, um, I found that I really gravitated to like, what I guess you would call American style hoppy beers. Um, but living up here in the northeast corner of the country and not having breweries around that specialized in those kind of styles, you know, I was reliant upon the Sierra Nevadas, the Stones, um, you know, uh, Rogue back then. You could get our, I could get my hands on Bear Republic from time to time. Um, but, you know, those beers had to travel across the country and, and invariably they were, you know, not at the, the, the peak of freshness. And yeah. So I'm like, I really like these beers and I'm sure that if they were fresh, they'd be 10 times better than what they are now. And I like them now. So that's what I was homebrewing. That's what I'm like. I want to, I want to try to make American style hoppy beers uh, and drink them fresh. Um, and so it wasn't like a conscious, like, I don't like the New England tradition um, of, of beer styles. That wasn't the motivation. The motivation was my own particular, you know, uh, desire to be able to have fresh hoppy beers, American style beers brewed right here in my backyard. There was such a from from your generation of, of of brewers, and you know, it maybe even a couple of years beforehand. There was this very, you know, I I, I want to make the styles that I want to drink, you know, which which is I guess how I could yeah. sort of distill down what what what, what I think you yeah. just said. Yep. Um, and I, how important is that still in your mind? Because I I, I talk to a lot of brewers and. There's often frustration of, you know, well, hoppy IPAs or, you know, hazy IPAs pay the bills or, you know, adjuncted stouts, you know, help me keep the lights on, but I'd really rather be making X. Yeah. Um, how important is that, though, to. I, I, I'm not saying that these folks aren't being true to themselves, but. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. It, it, it's still I mean, it, it remains kind of the touchstone. <clears throat> The touchstone of our innovation kind of philosophy um you know i although i am not you know i, I am not involved in the day-to-day -day operations of of brewing anymore and that that's probably a good thing there are people that are way, <laughs> way better at it than i ever was doing it now um there's other people organizing the garage yeah 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 right um i nonetheless you know i i, I sign off on any new beer that that we make and I sign off on it, you know, throughout its development pipeline um, for the express reason that, you know, I, I still um, am a firm believer in um, authenticity and uh, I want the beers that Maine Beer Company produces to be beers that resonate with me. Um, and so instead of following, you know, market, you know, in, in kind of, you know, instead of being a slave to market, pressure um, I want to create and help um, influence you know the market um, which is kind of what we've done from the beginning uh, when like I said you know just a few minutes ago you couldn't get these fresh hoppy American beers um, in in my neck of the woods and we kind of created our own you know uh, market and it wasn't just us there were there were a couple other early entrants into that space whether it was Sean Lawson or uh, Sean Hill, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there were a few of us up here who, who had, you know, kind of spotted that, that, that need uh, in, in, in the market up here, but, you know, we're, no, I'm still driven by at the end of the day, and it doesn't have to be an American style hoppy beer, but it has to be a beer that, that I like to drink. And we don't develop beers based on market surveys. Is there pushback in the brewery from folks who are bringing you IRI data and saying, but we could dot, 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 or is there, or is there just a company culture that folks know pretty early on that that's not the way that this business is going to be? Yeah. Folks know uh, what our philosophy is. And I think respect that Um, we're not a market. If you, if you brought up the, the, the uh, acronym IRI in our brewery, maybe one or two people would even have a clue what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> we don't, we, you know, no, I, no, I, I'm not being overly uh, moralistic here. I mean, of course we, you know, if our wholesalers are telling us brew more lunch because that's what's selling, we're going to brew more lunch, you know, but if our wholesalers come to us and trust me <laughs> or retailers or, or beer drinkers and say, why haven't you made uh, a hazy New England IPA? Well, it's just not the style of beer we make. And that's not a knock on that style. It's just not the beers that I, you know, that I had a, you know, a, a kind of a creative vision for making. Um, so, you know, there, it's not to say we don't respond to what people want, um, but we're not, you know, kind of blind slaves to, to, to that. Because I think if you, if you go down that hole, you're going to be chasing your tail. You're never going to be an innovator or it's never going to be authentic. It's just you're going to be sticking your finger up in the wind and, and always trying to gauge what people want. And by the time you figure it out, the next bad, the next craze has probably already you know, taken hold and you're going to be too late. Is there any scenario that you can imagine where you would put lactose into an IPA? Into an IPA? Yeah. No. Okay. I just wanted to make you uncomfortable for just half a second. <laughs> Is that what they do? Oh yeah, there's yeah. Oh, I, and again, I, I, I'm not. I, I enjoy. I love. I love how. I love how your fingers on the pulse of the greater industry these days. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I well, I, you always hear things, and I, I am not. Again, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to play dumb, but um, I, you hear things like flour or lactose or, uh, you know, how they hop the beers during fermentation. Yeah, um, and, I, and, I, and I, honestly, I, I don't know how to make them. Um, but when done well, I, I really enjoy it. We have great, you know. Obviously, New England, we we, yeah. we created the damn style up here. Um, you know, whether it's you know Bissell Brothers or you know a lot of other you know innovators up here. Um, but you know, and again, it's the same thing. You know, we get asked, well, when are you going to come out with sour beers? Well, this is not what we do. Uh, I have a, if I want a great sour beer. Literally five miles down the road, I can get some of the best sour beer made in the world. Yeah. You know, so like we do what we do. We try to do it as well as we possibly can. We hope people like it. Um, and I'll let, you know, I'll let Allagash, you know, make the sour beers and I'll let Bissell Brothers make the, the hazy New England IPAs. And, you know, there, there's enough room for all of us. We don't all have to do everything. What I'm struck as, as I'm, as I'm talking to you, and I'm, I'm recalling interviews past as well, but... There's a general being at peace that comes from hearing you talk about your brewery, you know, that you're, 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 you seem to be very happy. And I think rightfully so with what the brewery has become and with what the brewery is doing. And 
aesthetically, it also sort of seems to bleed into how your beer is presented on shelves. You know, the, still very clean labels. There's something, you know, I, we've talked about it on the show about the you know, romanticism of glass, especially in a in an age of aluminum. But there's 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 this very zen like atmosphere that comes from your beers. And I'm wondering if that's if that's intentional or something that's difficult to maintain or if that's just again what the brewery is because that's what you all are. Yeah, I th- I think it's it, it is it's what it is like that because it because it is who we are. And, and you know, my brother and I have from the very beginning had a very clear vision of what we want what we were setting out to do and what we hope to accomplish it you know through through all of this work and um while it hasn't always been easy uh as i alluded to earlier you know you do get pressures from from folks to do things that you're not comfortable with um but we've resisted those temptations and and there is a certain inner peace that comes with you know doing what's authentic to you because if at the end of the day it doesn't work at least you can say look that that this is what i believed in this this is the vision that that we had and if we're going to go down, we're going to go down on our own terms and vice versa. If we're going to succeed, we're going to succeed on our own terms. And that's not being, I don't think that's being arrogant. That's just being authentic. Yeah. Uh, and I think anybody, any, you know, I, 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 I often liken the, the, the brewing world to, you know, we're craftsmen, we're, we're, we're artisans. And, you know, I think the best artisans, if you want to break out of the brewing world, whether it's chefs or woodworkers or musicians or painters, the most successful ones are ones that, you know, are stubborn and say, this is what I'm going to do this on my own terms. Um, I'm going to be authentic. And I think that at the end of the day is what makes them successful because the consumers of their products know that they're being authentic. They're, they're not just they're not a marketing company. They're, they're not out there just trying to appeal to everyone all the time. Uh, they're being true to themselves. And there's a certain authentic, authenticity that comes from that that I think consumers respect and, and it resonates with them. In thinking about the beers that your company has been known for and that I have been around as, as, as long as I can remember at least. And I'm thinking of you know, beers like mean old Tom or lunch or peeper, or, you know, uh, Mo, um, are there, were there beers along the way that you were hoping would catch on that just didn't? Um, well, there, there are certain beers that are still around. I would, you know, uh, and you mentioned some of them that, you know, uh, for one reason or another, aren't our, what I would call our flagship brands. Um, so take Zoe, for example. Sure. I think Zoe is one of, from a, I, I, that was, you know, back when I was the only one brewing and doing all the recipe development, that was one of my early recipes. And, you know, it was inspired actually by a, by, by a Jamil Zanisef, uh show, podcast um, of some California red hoppy ale. I forget which one it was. Um, it was my riff on that. It's still one of my favorite beers because I've never tasted another beer like it. Um, but it, if you look at our sales data, you know, it, it, it doesn't sell incredibly well. 
Um, but we still make it because it it it's a good it's a really really good beer. Um, same with Mo. I you know Mo is one of the favorite my favorite beers that we make. Um, but you know again for for whatever reason whether it gets crowded out by Peeper and lunch because it's you know kind of in the middle, who knows why? Um, you know it's it's not one of our our huge sellers when we make it a few times a year. Um, there are there were a couple brands that we we've, we've had that we you know took to market and we don't sell anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I think Zoe and Mo are the two like two beers I really enjoy. We just don't sell a whole heck of a lot of it. Um, it's not because they're bad beers. I think it's just because there's you know within our portfolio they kind of get crowded out by by others. Yeah. I imagine the question that you were getting starting maybe about four years ago and probably continuing to this day, although probably less frequently, but I, I, I don't believe I've ever asked you about this. Did you ever think about cans? Um, did we ever, th- well, sure. We've, we've thought about cans. Okay. Have we ever made any serious, uh, uh, you know, we, we've investigated it from time to time. Um, and for a whole host of reasons, uh, it, it's really never made sense to us. Um, and I think primarily because one, uh, you know, our bottles sell. Yeah. Um, and could we sell more volume if we put beer in cans? Maybe. Uh, but we'd probably be selling it at a discount. And so from a, just a business standpoint, you're like, well, why would I just sell more beer to make the same amount of money? It doesn't make any sense uh, business-wise. But, you know, I, I think it, it, it also, we struggle with um, the, our bottle and just how it presents with the, the, the size of the bottle, the shape of the bottle, the white label on the brown glass. The, and they're, they're 500 the, ml? Yeah, they're 500 ml. The, the gauge, the thick gauge of the glass. It's almost become kind of an iconic fixture on a beer store cooler display. Mm-hmm. In, in something about putting it in the can, it's like, how can you replicate that same, uh, that same look and feel in a can? And we're not convinced that that we could. And would that would that somehow damage the brand long term? Would you just become another brewery who's put their beer in cans? Given Which, short term, you might be a short term, yeah. it might be a good play, but long term, is that are you doing? are you doing harm? And not that there's anything wrong with putting beer in cans, but we've become so iconic for having this bottle. Would it hurt our particular brand if we did that? I don't know the answer, but there's a risk there. Right. And it's obviously something that you're thinking about. I mean, that's, there's, there's that rush to, yeah, I, I, I don't envy you in that position. Although I imagine that there are a lot of brewers right now of various sizes as aluminum shortages and aluminum can shortages are starting to, to, to hit the marketplace um, that wish that they maybe had a bottling line or at least a, well, a, some are moving back to bottling. Yeah. Are you um, seeing now, are, that's, a, that's a, it's a crappy position that those breweries are in. So I don't, I don't relish that many, you know, it's just dumb luck in our, on our part that we're not heavily invested in aluminum because they're getting squeezed and it really sucks for a lot of breweries who, don't have the, the purchasing power with, you know, basically the one single aluminum can manufacturer in the United States. Um, so they're, they're being put in a real bind. 
right now. Um, I mean, so it'll, it will be interesting to see if you do see a shift back to glass, not because it's necessarily the preference of the brewery, but it's out of necessity. Yeah. Have you have you fielded calls from brewers asking you about glass in the last couple months? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, you're talking about your label and you're talking about the, the presentation of, of the beer. And one of the things that, that I enjoy seeing uh, when, when I see your labels um, is the 1% for the planet. Um, which is a, a label that I actually think has some meaning behind it as opposed to some of the other uh, labels that have popped up on uh, craft brewing uh, uh, beers in the last couple of years. Um, I don't know how many brewers in the U.S. are doing it. I know you were among the first, if not the first. Um, for folks who aren't aware of what it is I'm talking about, I imagine you can sum it up a little bit more succinctly than I can. Sure. Well, one percent for the planet is a—it's a nonprofit, uh, really an auditing uh, enterprise where uh, its mission is to enlist businesses, any kind of business, um, to pledge to donate one percent of their uh, sales, so top of the line revenue, not profit. Um, so one percent of their sales to environmentally focused nonprofits, uh, with you know the. The rationale being um, if, you know, private companies uh, or, you know, if the private sector, if everybody just did a little bit, 1%, um, we could, you know, we could essentially uh, make huge inroads into the, uh, a lot of the woes that are, are impacting our planet, our communities, our, you know, our climate, our water, our air, Um and so early on, when we were developing our business plan back in 2008 or so, um, you know, in kind of my brother and I were heavily influenced, you know, by the moment that we were living in um, with the, the financial, you know, I'm sure most of the listeners, you know, will, will remember the, uh, the, the financial collapse of 2008 and 2009 that we talked about earlier in you know, in my, me and my brother's mind, um, a lot of that was caused by this growing, uh, I think, corrosive ethos that, you know, kind of the Gordon Gecko greed is good. Um, you know, you had these these wealthy Wall Street financiers who, you know, made millions and millions and millions of dollars on the backs of hardworking Americans who were left really carrying the, the bill. Um, and so we basically we were like, if we want to start a brewery, I mean, if I just wanted to make beer, I, I, I would have just kept home brewing. But we wanted to do something bigger. And we wanted to show that, you know, as a for-profit business, you don't have to externalize costs onto your employees, the planet, your communities. You can you internalize those costs. You can pay your employees a living wage. You can give back. You know, you can be responsible environmental environmental stewards, and that was part of the reason why we joined One Percent. You can be good, you know, community uh, citizens, and not only will that not doom you to failure, it will make you a more successful company because your employees are going to be motivated to show up to the work. They're going to they're going to like their job. Your your customers are going to realize that you're being responsible. 
And that's going to resonate with their values. And they're going to want to patronize you over someone who is doing the wrong thing. Um, so the 1% for the planet was really kind of a, it's like, it was, it was a, it was a tangible way for us to show that we're putting our money literally where our mouth is. You know, a lot of people will, will, you know, talk a good game, but what are you really doing? And, and for, for us at the beginning, you know, 1% was something that we could, we could show people, um, that we were, we were serious about, uh, about the, the kind of business that we wanted to create. And, and we hoped that by doing so, we'd show other small business owners and we'd influence them to, you know, maybe it might not be join 1% for the planet. It could be they, they could do other things that, that show that they have the same kind of ethos that, that we do. And if, you know, I think if, if, our, if our economy ran that way, um, then everybody could win. Instead, you know, we can have a, virtu- a virtuous cycle, I, I say, instead of a, a vicious cycle. Um, and so it's been cool. You know, as we've gone, gone along, we fielded uh, many calls from companies asking about 1%, seeing that we've done it, signing up for it. Um, so it's, it, it, it's, it's working. Yeah, um, I have seen and, that logo on more beer brands. Uh, yeah, I mean it's not ubiquitous. It's not yeah. a, you know it's not everywhere. But no, it's, it's far it's, from it's it. Yeah, it's a movement, right? It's it's a um, in in and I think that I think in in a lot of ways I think just the the general social dialogue has has caught up. I think just the times that we're living in now, you're you're seeing increased focus by. Uh, you know, companies on, on being more responsible, if for no other reason, they're not a necessity now because they see it's just bad for business. Yeah. You know, if you're a brewery, but on a moral level, you don't, I don't really care if you believe in climate change or whatever, but when you see the cost of barley and hops and the scarcity of water, that, that impacts your business. And so people don't have to, to buy in at a moral level anymore it's it's a it's it's an existential it's an existential issue now and it's it's bad business if we don't address it so some in a lot of ways you know mother nature doesn't really care uh and she's having her way um regardless of whether or not you know everybody buys it on a moral level but um you know for us it was you know it, it was certainly we wanted to show people that you could you could have a healthy bottom line and do the right thing that still strikes me. I mean, when you say it, it just it sounds like a no brainer. It sounds maybe not simple, but like something people should want to do. But I, as you were saying this, I was thinking of all of these various internet forums that I read or conversations that I've had in the past where, you know, brewing employees are struggling to keep up, uh, you know, might have to work two jobs, um, aren't getting a living wage. Uh, and there's this. There's been this sort of background hum of, you know, it, you know, it's it's a passion. You know, you do it for the passion. You know, you do it for the, you know, for the fun. You do it for the, you know, the the case of beer at the end of the month as a perk or, or whatever. It 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 strikes me though when I'm hearing you say that, that the more people are paying attention to living wages and keeping employees happy and motivated and and feel like they're they're part of something better that. Uh, eventually some of those, those brewers that, you know, were owners, I guess, or, you know, companies um, that aren't treating folks right 
they're going to get left behind. Or maybe that's just, you know, a, a, a naive hope. No, I, I, again, I think it, I think that that in in many ways is is true. Um, I I firmly believe, and I, I believe that we're we're a a a, a good example of um, th- this hypothesis that uh, you know, like I said earlier, what. What I would have learned had I gone to business school in, you know, 2004 instead of law school, if I had gone to Wharton, I would have learned that or been taught that, you know, in order to maximize profit, you have to externalize costs. That may not have been explicit, but that certainly wouldn't, would have been the underlying message because that's how companies operate. Mm-hmm. Um but myself, me and my brother, we believed firmly because not because we had some epiphany, because we had seen companies like Patagonia, for example, that live by company. This, yeah, that live by this model and were incredibly successful and are incredibly successful. Um, and, and, and we saw, I think that, you know, we, we thought that if, that the world uh, was going to only change in ways that would reinforce our uh, assumptions that, you know, people were going to get more and more fed up with what was going on and and how they were being treated and were going to put their dollars, they were going to, you know, they were going to, they were going to um, support companies with, with their money who they thought were doing the right thing. Um, It wasn't going to be the other way around. And I think that in large part has played out. Um, you look at, you know, gen, you know, people my age and younger, um, you know, I, I think they, they are more apt to, uh, spend their money on products or services, uh, from companies that align with their values than not. That wasn't the, that wasn't the case, I think for my parents' generation, Yeah, you know, it was kind of like you want, if your neighbor had the Cadillac, you wanted the Cadillac. It was more of a status thing. Now it's it's like no I, I I want to support Patagonia because they're doing the right thing. I want to support Main Beer Company because they're doing the right thing. Um, they're they they're, they they want to they want to make sure that the planet's around for me and my kids. Um, you know they're looking out for us, uh, and I think that that's a I just think that's a competitive advantage in the marketplace. So again, I, you don't have to buy into it on a moral level, and I don't care if you do. Uh, it's just good business. I want to kind of bring it back to where we started. Um, the Great Recession was obviously a, a, a huge influence on you and where you are today. And we're just starting, I think, almost a year into some of the various uh, you know, restrictions and the way COVID is changing changing life. I mean, it's just about a year or so ago that you know I was last in Maine at, at your Brewers Guild uh, annual conference, and you know there was just sort of these beginning inklings of like, oh wow, is the world coming to an end or not? Um, and here we are a year later. Um, but I'm, I'm starting to get the impression that with unemployment the way that it is or companies changing and uh, certainly the hospitality industry being racked uh, the, the, in, in just remarkable ways and terrible ways. But I imagine people are going to be reevaluating their lives 
once vaccine starts to roll out and people can actually start moving around again and saying, you know, well, do I want to spend my life on Zoom calls or do I want to you know, live my life and, and, and do what I want to do? And uh, I've been talking to folks. This is my long winded way of saying I've been talking to folks who have taken up homebrewing over the uh, during the pandemic. And I'm guessing that we're going to see a, a whole new wave of brewers open up post COVID-19 much in the way that we did post great recession for those folks. If any of them are listening right now, where do you recommend they put their thoughts and energies now before taking that step, you know, having your business born from similar circumstances? Yeah. I mean, well, Sorry, that was like a nine-minute question, and I apologize. That was <laughs> no, un- that was unnecessarily long for a pretty easy setup of, you know, <laughs> no, what do you wish you know now that you didn't back then? Yeah, I, I think I first the first thing I, I I'll, I'll say is that you have to understand and appreciate that the while the circumstances um, are similar in that you know a lot of people are being kind of forced by necessity to uh, take up different uh, vocations or, or will be forced. Uh, that's very similar now to 2008, 2009. The, the craft beer world is, couldn't be more different. Like I said early on in our conversation in the state of Maine, when we started, there were you know 20 or fewer breweries in the whole state. Now there's 150. So understand that the marketplace is much more crowded. So just go in go into it just realizing that and taking that into account um because remarkably there have not been um as was anticipated early on a a ton of brewery closings um most breweries have been able to you know kind of weather the storm storm so to speak so if you're thinking about like i'm a home brewer i fell in love with home brewing during this this pandemic, I want to open a brewery. Um, make sure that you've just surveyed your your whatever market you're you're in uh, uh-huh. and are going into it clear eyed. Um, I think that would be the biggest kind of piece of advice that I would I, I would I would give. Um, that uh, it's just a, it's a different world, and that that that's in no way to to said to discourage people, but it's just the reality. And I I would be doing them a disservice if I didn't. Uh, point that out. Yeah. But beyond that, if if they're convinced that look, yeah, I believe that you know my my community, my town, my community, my city, my state, there's there's room for for my beer. You know, I'd go back to what still drives us, and you know some of the things that we've touched on in our conversation, and that is you know be authentic, be true to yourself, um, brew beers that that you like to make. Um, you know, do fewer things, but do them really well. Don't try to do everything um, and do it half-assed. Um, and have, and even but beyond your beer, have a compelling story. Um, I was told early on um, by someone who I respect in in the beer industry uh, that you know you need two things to succeed in this in this industry, and then they, and I think it, this the same applies to others. And that is, you have to have a good product, so you have to have good beer, and you have to have a good story. You have to have both of those things, I believe, to be successful. So, what's what's your story? What are you what are you trying to tell people? Other than the fact that you have good beer, what's going to get to their heart? 
you know, that, that'll get, that'll, that'll get to their taste buds, but what's going to resonate inside of them? Where's that, that, that emotional connection to your beer? Because it's a crowded marketplace out there and there's a lot of people making really, really good beer. You have to have something else that to sell to people. And that's your story. So give some, I, I, I would, I would encourage them to really give some thought to why they're doing this, not what they're doing, but why they're doing. I don't think I could follow up uh, with anything quite as eloquent as that. So um, I think this is a good place to leave it. Dan, thanks for, thanks for taking the time on a overcast day here in, in New Jersey. I don't know what the weather is like up by you guys, but it's You've got snow falling. It's actually pretty up here. Yeah. It's uh, you know middle of winter. This, it's what yeah, we yeah. that's what we look for right now, and uh, hoping to get back up there and drink beer fresh from well, your place I, I'll again. Tell you so, what, I, I, no one will be happier than than myself uh, when we can welcome people, you know, back into to our tasting room uh, without with, with without restriction. Yeah, it's. Uh, I imagine really quick the 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 term the tourism industry, um, which I mean is so critical for so many businesses up by you and especially uh, where you are in Freeport uh, has been just awful. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it, 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 you know, Maine, Maine uh, is, is heavily reliant on, you know, tourist dollars to support, to support our, uh, our economy. And it, it's been nailed hard, but we're a, we're a resilient bunch up here. And, and there's been a lot of innovation, not just from breweries, but from, from restaurants, from in, you know, in owners, uh, and we're scrapping things together. And, you know, I, I, I think a lot of us are, are starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel and, um, are, are optimistic that, that this summer is going to be a lot different than last summer. And, uh, can't wait to, to welcome people back into our establishments. Here's hope and something to look forward to. Um, yeah, absolutely. Dan, thanks so much. Hey, anytime. That's Dan Kleben of Maine Beer Company. My thanks to him for being on the show and for taking the time. And you can visit MainBeerCompany.com to learn more about the brewery and their beers. And I hope that Maine in general is in your travel plans as you think about post-COVID life. Before we go, a quick reminder to check out BeerEdge.com and to follow us on social media at The Beer Edge. And also that you should become part of the This Week in Roush Beer page on Facebook. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or guest suggestions, you can find me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com. That's my email and probably the best way. Or you can ping me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Every Monday is Steal This Beer, and the BYO Nano podcast happens on the 15th of every month. You can find those shows where you download podcasts. Also, take a moment to leave a review of this show, if you like it, and to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you want to learn about advertising on this show, or on Andy's show for that matter, you can also email Liz Melby, she's at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll tell you about our surprisingly affordable rates. You know the deal. Nate Schweber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo. And I'm John Hall. Thanks for listening. And remember that new episodes of this show come out every Wednesday. And that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer.